1: unless we change the way we think about what's right and what's wrong. We will incur the judgment of God. There's a third reality that that secures our hope and that is the reality of peace. Peace. What does peace do? Peace keeps us focused on the cross. It says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the cross gospel of peace. Peace keeps us focused on the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross achieved for us both temporal and eternal peace. I I, I hope that you all know that. The, The death of Jesus on the cross secures for us Temporal peace as Christians as we navigate this life. You will have peace here on earth, you know, not peace that the world gives, Jesus says, because the world is not going to give us true peace. We're going to go through trials and tribulations and sufferings here on earth. But in spite of all of that turmoil in our lives, the Bible says, because Jesus overcame those things, we too will have peace while we're here. But not only that, we're also inheriting eternal Peace because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you know that you can have peace here on earth and you can have eternal peace one day, your hope would be much more secured. In fact, peace inside a person's heart will help us. If, if, if peace is inside our heart, will help us conquer all of our anxieties. I truly believe that. And we have anxieties both global and local, right? Local anxieties, you know, deals with, you know, our daily worries about our jobs, our relationships, and, you know, our personal medical situations and all of that. That can come in and and be worrisome for us. And the Bible says that we can have peace through all of that because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus but not you know we're we're, we're bothered not only by the, the, the local local uh, anxieties that we have but also the global anxieties we're still talking about pandemics we're still talking about terrorism we're still talking about you know anxieties and inflation have you put gas in your cars lately my goodness i thought i was a uh, you know i, I couldn't believe You know, and and, uh, so I decided I I, I needed to get fit, and I started walking. Save me some gas. I get a different kind of gas, though. (laughs) These are the world reality. I mean, there are 10 people that got killed in some grocery store in Buffalo, New York just yesterday. Um, And this is now becoming like a regular routine now. You know, you think about these things. You know, one day, you know, somebody can just come in and just... If you don't have peace, you're going to be worrying about that stuff and you're going to be locking yourself up and you're not going to be able to live, right? But we have peace. Why do we have peace? Because we have hope that no matter what happens, Jesus secures our hope. We have a hope of eternal life too. So if we fall victims to one of those bullets, hey, you're just entering heaven a little bit earlier. Oh, why does God allow things like that to happen? Listen to me again. I say it before and I say it again. Don't worry about that. Put your faith in Christ. He will take responsibilities for all of those things, okay? Don't worry about it. Stop asking questions like, "Why why does God allow these things to happen? You know, forget that. That's not faith. That's just doubting. You know what I think? I think God knows what he's doing. I think God knows beginning from the end. Because he's outside of time and he's outside of space. Okay? I can put my faith in a God like that. Not a God who explains to me everything that I don't need to know. How many of you in this room this morning would like to know when you're going to die? I don't seem to see any takers on the challenge. Right? Do you really? How on? Oh, God. Pastor, please tell me when am I going to die? Please, God, tell me the exact moment. I'm going to die. You ever wonder why you don't know? Because it's about faith in God. It's about putting our faith in God. It's all about putting your faith in Jesus. Why are we asking questions like this that, that dismantles our hope? Why does God never blah, 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 blah. Let me remind you of something. When Jesus died on the cross, when He was buried, when He rose from the dead, when He ascended to heaven... When he sent the Holy Spirit, did murder stop happening? Uh, did injustice stop happening? Did, did calamity stop happening? No, why, why not? Why, why didn't the cross accomplish that? Because it's all about faith. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And you know what the problem with us is? We think that this is, a, this is all it is. And that's why so many Christians get all anxious about all kinds of things. You have no peace because you don't think God is responsible. God is responsible. Believe it, you'll sleep better at night. You got cancer? I don't know why I got this. I don't deserve this. Whether you deserve this or not. Listen to me. God takes responsibility for what happened to you. Put your faith in Him and you'll have hope. And our hope doesn't diminish just because of those things, our hope is eternal. There's nothing political about God. This is I don't care whether you're a left-winger or a right-winger. You have to be for the bird. It's the bird that matters, not the wing. It's God that gives us hope, real hope. Number four, fourth reality. The reality of faith. How does faith secure our hope? Faith makes us more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Look at this. It says, put on the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, it's interesting. You know what a shield does? Uh, a, A shield is supposed to protect you. From the oncoming attacks, according to the text. You know, the devil attacks you or the world attacks you. Your shield is supposed to protect you, so it becomes a defensive weapon. But if you read this thing very closely, it's not just a defensive weapon, it is also a weapon of destruction. You know what it says? You put on a shield, and it will not only protect you from the arrows that come, it'll destroy. The arrows that come. Go read it. It says it right there. So you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This this thing called faith is much more than just wishful thinking and hoping that God might do this or might do that. No, it destroys every argument and principalities that exalts itself against the knowledge of Almighty God. That's what it does. I'm preaching to you, you just don't know it. And you know, this is true. Your shield of faith. Faith doesn't only protect us from unbelief. It destroys unbelief. Faith doesn't just keep us from doubting. It destroys doubt. Faith just doesn't protect us from deception. It exposes deception. It's going to extinguish the fiery darts and destroy the weapons of our enemy. That makes us victorious. We're called by God not just to be survivors. Oh, if I can just survive the day, Pastor. Oh, if I can just survive the week. We are called to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Faith drives our hope. And makes it secure. Faith is the substance substance of that which we hope for and gives evidence of the things that are not yet a reality in our lives. In other words, without faith, our hope will not be so secure. There will not be any kind of solid certainty about the future. There's a fifth reality. That secures our hope, and that is the reality of our salvation, the fact that we are saved. Now, what does our salvation reveal? It reveals our true identity in Christ. That's what salvation does. If I, if I ask you, are you saved? Are you, have you been saved? That's what we mean. That's what Christians mean by salvation. When I ask if you're saved, the question I'm asking you is, do you know your true identity in the Lord Jesus Christ? The scripture tells us, our scripture tells us to take the helmet of salvation. We, we, need, to, we need to be able to secure our understanding of our salvation. You know, you know don't, don't give silly answers like, I'm saved because I go to church on Sunday. A lot of people still say that. Ah, I'm saved because, you know, I, uh, you know, I read my Bible. Did you know that uh, Satan reads the Bible and he believes it? Many of us, we read the Bible, we don't even believe what it says. Oh, I'm a Christian because I pray. Oh, I'm glad you pray, but that doesn't make you and I saved. A lot of people pray. A lot of people read the Bible. We're saved because we know our true identity in Christ. And what is that identity? That we now belong to the kingdom of God because we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus. I'm saved because I'm no longer part of the system of this world. I am now part of the kingdom of God. That's why I'm saved. I entered the kingdom of God. Jesus opened the door and I walked in. Like that, that, that great theologian Paul McCartney once wrote. Someone's knocking at the door. Someone's ringing the bell. Someone's knocking at the door. Someone's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. Let him in. We are saved because our identity in Christ is that we are God's children through faith in Him. If I'm a child of God, I'm not the child of the devil or child of this world any longer. I'm now saved. There's an old cliche that, that I, oh, I've heard all my life, and I, and I hated saying it because it's, it's very commonly said. But it's still true, and I'm going to say it to you. Who you are in this world don't matter. It's whose you are. The hope we have is not based on our achievements, our stature, our legacy. It's our identity. That's what matters to God. Hope is not a matter of being. It's a matter of belonging. Our salvation is what identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved to belong, not to be on our own. The New Testament, especially the writings of Paul, use the very, very strong word to describe his belonging to Jesus. He uses the word duolos, which literally means a slave, a prisoner, which literally means a person who absolutely have no rights of his own except the pleasure of his master. That's what we are. We are duolos, slaves of Christ. And it's one of the ironies of the Christian faith. We have been set free in order to be prisoners of Christ. Remember that as Christians. We have been set free from the bondage of sin so that we can be prisoners of righteousness. In the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our identity in Jesus that's the greatest paradox of our salvation. We have all been set free to become prisoners of Jesus. In spiritual terms, that is used to describe how solid our hope is of this eternal life that we have. You know, there's that old show, and I, and I use this illustration all the time. I watch that show, the Andy Griffith show. I don't know if you watch that show. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny show. One of the funniest shows I've ever watched. But there's this character in that uh, in that television show. His name was Otis. And Otis was the town drunk. He gets drunk, right? And, of course, when he gets drunk, he has to be put in jail. He causes trouble and all that. But you know what? Since he knows he's a drunk and he knows he's going to get in trouble anyway, what he does is he volunteers to go to the precinct himself, pulls out the key, opens the jail cell, goes inside and locks himself in. You know because he's going to that's going to happen to him anyway. So that's that's that that's the humor of the show. And and sometimes we think of ourselves that way. You know, we have been set free but we remain in bondage so we decided to imprison ourselves. We think we have the key to release ourselves out of that imprisonment. Let me tell you only Jesus can set us truly free. When we are held captive by, by, by sin and death and all of the deception that this world has to offer. That's the kind of prisoner we are when we get saved. We become prisoners of Jesus. He has the key. And we don't get to go in and out when we please. He holds us captive. And that's a good sign that you are saved. The sixth reality is this. That He secures our hope in the Word. Of God, Our hope is secured in the Word. Now, what is the Word? The Word is the catalyst to the power of prayer. The Word is the catalyst to the power of prayer. Look at what it says. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's called the sword of the Spirit because the Word of God is the primary way through which God communicates with us in prayer. It is the catalyst. God doesn't communicate with us primarily with a, an audible sound. Oh, God spoke to me, I heard His voice, okay? A lot of people say, you know, God is speaking to me, I heard His voice. When you are experiencing that phenomena, come see me after the service. I'm not doubting that you're hearing voices. But I will sincerely doubt that when you hear an audible voice, that you're hearing the voice of God. The Bible clearly says, in the past, God spoke to us through prophets and priests and kings. But now he speaks to us through the words of his son. And Luke undertaken an extensive study to make sure that the words of Christ were properly dispensed among people. So God speaks to us, communicates with us primarily through his word. It is the catalyst that, that, it is, that moves us into the direction of God. So when we pray, we don't just pray according to our own will, but according to God's will. We cannot separate prayer from knowing the Word of God. That's why many of our prayers are just fizzling. You know, we, we expect our prayers to enter heaven and it doesn't even reach the ceiling. Because it's, it's devoid of understanding what Jesus said, what God says when we pray. We, we we think that we can simply approach God in prayer in our own terms. Absolutely not. God dictates the terms by which we can approach Him. It is is true. In scriptures, you will see Moses seeing a burning bush, and he says, "I'm going to go up there and see what's going on with this burning bush because I've never seen a burn a bush burn and not get consumed. So I'm going to go in there and approach this. And before he got there. God spoke to him and says, take off your shoes. Because the place you're standing is holy ground. You think that has changed? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will endure forever. We cannot approach God in our own terms. We need to approach Him in His terms. That's a good theology for praying. Okay? It's good theology. God moves according to His Word, not ours. God is not moved with the beautiful words that we say. How eloquent we are when we pray. God is not moved by that. God is moved by how much we know about Him. That's why when we pray, we don't start with our need, right? I mean, those of you who attended discipleship class, many of you didn't know. When you pray, don't just go blurting out your needs before God. God knows your needs before He even asks you. Before you even ask Him, rather. What do you do when you approach the throne of God? You bow your heart. You bow your soul. And you tell God, God, you're God and I'm not. And I bow down to your glory. I bow down to your, to your praiseworthy name. In the Old Testament, again and again, over and over again, God says, if you are careful to obey my command and the instruction... That I give you, it will go well with you if you listen and obey, you will be blessed. That's basically the theme of God to His people. In the gospel, Jesus says the same thing if you love me, obey my words. Do you know why our prayers are somewhat dull and powerless? Because it's not based on God's expressed will, His expressed word. We can pray all day long. And it will not amount to anything if it's just based on our own words. God moves according to His will. And we will enter His presence according to His terms and not our own. And finally, the seventh reality of our, the security of our hope is this. And that is prayer itself. What is prayer? Prayer is God's invitation for us to commune. With him. It's an invitation for communion. It says, and pray in the spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is an invitation from God to commune with him. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Prayer is literally God inviting us to the table and hang out with him, prayer originates in heaven. It's an invitation from God. The direction of prayer should not be from here on earth to heaven. It should be from heaven to earth. So our prayers must also start from heaven. Where do we get real hope? From God above. Why is our prayers always based right here on the the things of the earth? Our praying must be prompted By the Holy Spirit. That's how we know that our prayer is coming from heaven. It is prompted by the Spirit of God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is active in your life as a Christian? If He's active, don't you ever think that He will be prompting you and I to pray? So prayer must be prompted. It must be prompted by the Holy Spirit, not so much by our needs. When we we pray and it's prompted by our knees or trouble, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Okay, you can pray when you're in trouble, like Peter prayed. When he was sinking, he says, Jesus, save me. That's fine. But you know, real prayer, prayer that secures our hope, prayer that gives real hope, must be prompted by the Spirit. It must be. Otherwise, what is the Spirit doing in our lives? Making us guess all the time what to pray for? No, the Bible says we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groans that we cannot explain. That's what it means. It has to start from heaven because the Bible says the Spirit of God testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. I get excited about that because I know my prayers are, <clears throat> excuse me, they are heard. God's hearing my prayers. Why? Because I just don't pray, you know, God, give me a nice physique so I can live longer. God, give me a race. What happened to my race? God, give me patience. Do it now. That's the kind of prayer we be. Earthly prayers. Too much earthly prayers. Oh, God, uh, protect my children from harm. That's a good way to pray for your children. You know what? A prayer from heaven says, God, fill my children with your... Scare them to death, God. Scare them that they will avoid hell. There's a big difference. Maybe here this morning, you have been praying... But there's no prompting. When I first came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I was 16 years old. It was in a very large church. It was a long, long time ago, about 10 years ago. No, no. The details are sketching out of me. 16 years old, that was a long time ago, people. By the way, just a plug, I'll be 60 in two months. You know what sucks? I feel like I'm 25. And those of you who are 60, you know, don't laugh. You know. The only thing that doesn't hurt are my eyebrows at 60. Everything else hurts. You know. <laughs> my wife's helping me out of the chair half the time. You know, you act like you're preaching. You act like you're, you know, after the sermon, you I was 16 years old. I want to tell you something about that. If it wasn't from the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be standing here. Because the day I came to faith in Jesus, I knew it was real. And it didn't become a reality because I was having some bad days or anything like that. It was real because it was prompted by the Spirit. Spirit says, come, you need to get saved. Maybe the Spirit of God is saying that to you. You need to get saved. You've been listening
0: to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.